0: Welcome to the Pen and the Yod, Akhari Mot, Shuvah, and the Power of the Apology. In this podcast, Rabbi Siegel and Jonathan Eig explore the power of an ancient rite and the relevance of Yom Kippur today.
1: This week, we're going to be reading from the portion of Akhari Mot, and in this portion, we find the compendium of all of the laws of Yom Kippur.
0: Those are some of my favorites. Everybody likes to complain about the... uh... The, some of the logic behind, or the seeming uh, illogic behind those.
1: I imagine Moses would have a whole variety of questions for us. You know, who's this guy talking this during the course of the service? Who's this person singing? And, you know, where, where's the beef? You know, where where are the sacrifices? What happened to the essence of Yom Kippur, as it's understood in Aharimot, which is a series of sacrifices and purification rituals. Which culminate with the um, Azazel, this very interesting, strange ceremony of taking two goats. One is designated for God and one is designated for Azazel. And the priest is going to place his hands on this goat for Azazel and symbolically transfer All of the sins from the household of Israel, including his own and his family's, onto this goat. And then the goat is going to be sent into the wilderness uh, to its death. And in that way, all these sins are going to be expiated. Quite literally, they're going to be erased. And that idea of being able to make tshuva, that is to return to the best of yourself, that idea of... Finding forgiveness before God and other human beings is really a topic worthy of
0: conversation. Yeah, I wonder if we're um, if we could use some a lot more goats these days because we seem to be uh, we don't have a way to remove our sins or to uh, expunge them or to, to to cast them out. When in fact um, we're we're inventing new ways to, to to share our sins, to 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 commit more sins, to uh, to to grouse about our neighbors, to um, to shame people, it um, seems to be. There was a great piece in the Times um, the other day called "The Industrial Revolution of Shame." That we are living in the age when the easiest thing to do is to attack people um, on, on Twitter because you have this great anonymity of it for, uh, with, associated with it now.
1: Well, I think it's a it's a a larger issue because the purpose of these actions in the Torah are to show that God is open to the penitent. We have prayers in the Yom Kippur service where we say, the repentance, prayer, and good deeds will avert the severity of the decree. There are ways to return to God. There are ways to return to ourselves. There are ways to return to our relationships, our most important relationships, and find new common ground. But what you're suggesting is that in our society, those are taken away from us. Where do we go with it?
0: You, know, if we were living in an age when we are able to communicate with each other um, so distantly, so remotely, even you know our in our, our families, sometimes we find ourselves talking to them more over social media, over texting than we do face to face, does that reduce our ability to atone for our sins, to ask for forgiveness from one another? Um, when we're having these relationships that are becoming more and more um, filtered by these devices and, and discouraging intimacy?
1: Well, there is something to texting. It's the most convenient thing in the world. It's also the most impersonal thing in the world. How many people have broken off relationships with a text? Oh, yeah. How many people get fired? Or
0: worse, ghosting, where you don't even text. You just disappear and you stop texting in response to the person who you were seeking to, to break up with in a relationship.
1: And here we're really communicating on multiple levels. We're communicating whatever message you might want to give, but you're also communicating that you're not worth a face-to-face conversation. You're not even worth talking to anymore, so I'm just going to walk away from you. That's right. I don't need to tell you why, by the way. I just, you know, I just don't want to yeah. deal with it. You're not worth it to me. And so in a society where we demean other people, it's very hard to speak about the importance of approaching God with a contrite heart. Now, willingness not only to confess, but the willingness to show that you have taken on the responsibility of real change.
0: It takes real care and real compassion and empathy to seek someone out and go speak to them face to face when you have something to say. And I would imagine that um, if you can't do that you're going to have a difficult time genuinely communicating with God and genuinely offering prayer.
1: Well I think that's the the amazing thing about the ceremony. Yom Kippur is the culmination of a 10 day period. Rosh Hashanah begins the new year but it also begins this 10 days of the 10 days of return of Chuvah where we are instructed to go to every person with whom you have an important relationship sit down and say I'm sorry and actually delineate the number number of things that you may have done during the course of the past year that you want to acknowledge that you want to address and to say I'm gonna do better and in fact during those 10 days to actually take those steps imagine that idea. Imagine if that was taking place across a community. And so on Yom Kippur Day, everyone walks into this sanctuary. Everyone is hitting their chest and saying, I have sinned. We're all part of a community. We're all wearing white because we have the potential of purity, but we're all, in our own ways, imperfect beings, imperfect vessels. Can we forgive each other? And if we can't forgive each other, and how can we expect god to forgive us see the the framework is so very different than anything we're used to in our own age
0: yeah that's true i heard a good ted talk the other day that really had me thinking it was a woman said she had a long going dispute with her sibling a sister and she said that she realized that in every relationship where she felt like someone owed her an apology owed her forgiveness, um, that, that she owed that person an apology. And that she said, if you look at any relationship in your life where you think someone has done you wrong, I'll bet you that you've done them wrong. I'll bet you that there's a mutual feeling of frustration, of hostility. And it, it at least make, made me think that um, it's worth looking at it that way. If, if, I was, if, I, if there's somebody who I was feeling angry toward, did that person have reason to be angry with me too?
1: Right. But that does run the risk of Kind of a relative moment where you say mm. well i'll tell you what i did if you mm. tell me what but i'm gonna but you better tell me what you did as well i don't think Chuva's is really like that this is really a um a statement of the purest type of communication where you're willing to talk look at each other and say you're sorry mm. and say i'm I, I am really bound and determined to do better because it acknowledges that the possibility that we evolve as people, that in some ways we're not the same person we were 20 years ago. We've learned that's mm-hmm. what life's experience does to us. But I wonder if that's even a possibility in the age of Google.
0: Right. And you're saying um, when you when you want to explore that, when you feel like maybe you've wronged somebody, um, don't start with a text. Get them in the in the room and look them in the eye. And and I think you know sometimes it's even if you're not sure what you're. Sin is, but you know that you're feeling bad about something you 've done having that conversation at least might might be a path to to figuring it out right, but it it also means that we don't
1: label people we look at look at how we deal with people who are politicians. they do something that has been uncovered twenty thirty years ago, and we simply say, well, you are you're this or you're that, as if that's that moment in time defines the person. Now, sometimes those actions actually will disqualify you from a particular place that you have in society. It may be a job, maybe an elected official. But the reality is, is that we are so quick to point the finger at this one or that one, as you said at the beginning, is shaming that there's no relational issue there. There's nothing. There's no. We're done now. Right. Right? You're, as some, as people will say, he's toast.
0: Yeah. and, And Twitter is the easiest way to do that. You just shame somebody, you just label them and you move on to the next tweet. You don't have to think about it anymore because this person has committed a sin that allows you to, in your mind, categorize them forever.
1: Right. And part of the issue, and I raised this a minute ago, is Google. I think that in some ways, tshuva is impossible with Google because Google doesn't allow forgetfulness you type in someone's name and you're going to find out all kinds of things some of which you could have done 20 30 years ago something maybe you wrote that you regret writing For but sure. there it is and someone will say well that's it's as if you, you you said those words this day today and that that that's also part of that problem is that we don't our technology has created uh, a very different society and what the tower is interested in is creating a holy society that is going to be able to renew itself where people can forgive them each other so they can go on and get on with things in their families and in the larger society. You look at someone like King David. King David was, in many ways, a cad. He was a very, very difficult, challenging person to watch. He was also a remarkable military leader. He was also a spiritual leader. guide to so many of us in the book of Psalms. The Torah shows David making tshuva on multiple occasions and dealing with the public shame of it, but also winning forgiveness. Where are we without forgiveness in our society? Where are we as a society if all we can do is turn our relationships into blood sport and say, I shame you,
0: right? Yeah, it takes more work, and um, these days, uh, you know, that's not the uh, the way to go. It's easier just to make your decision, make your set your head, your mind, and then move on. Um, but I think we have to do the work.
1: I was thinking about your book on Dr. King that you're working on, and how you often hear from people, well, you know, his marriage was not always whole; that there were some fidelity issues there. And instead of focusing on the man and his legacy. And this remarkable figure, we find ourselves kind of going down a different road and labeling him. You see, so you see his clay feet. That's right.
0: There's a great tendency there to do that with, with the people because they feel a, an, an urge to cut them down rather than to say, wow, what a great leader. Uh, how did he do so much? How did he build a movement with nothing, with no power, no political office, no money, built the greatest grassroots movements of, of all time? And yet the, uh, the, it's, it's easier to say, yeah, but you know, he cheated on his wife.
1: Right. So he's worthless. He's worthless. And the reality is, is that shaming is so much easier than the hard work of finding your way back in a relationship. And we need that. You know, in the rabbinic literature, the rabbis say that before God could create the world, God created tshuva, the power of return, the ability to forgive. Because the, and in that rabbinic uh, story, the rabbis are acknowledging the imperfect nature of people. And if we're imperfect, then, well, one possibility is that we'll always be worthy of destruction. We're going to either destroy ourselves or God will destroy us. That's how some some religions see it. But for Jews, tshuva is the answer, and that has sustained us, and that is at the essence of Yom Kippur. Thanks, Jonathan. Thank you.